It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Friday, Howard. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing well. How are you? Hey, we are doing great. Thanks, as always, for jumping on with us. Uh, day after the NBA trade deadline, who got better, Howard? Who got better? Um, <laughs> the, the Denver Nuggets, let's just start there since that kind of affects the team in your backyard. Um, the Denver Nuggets were definitely among the winners yesterday, getting Aaron Gordon, uh, as well as JaVale McGee, who's, you know, like that, that's not a minor acquisition. I mean, he'll play off the bench, and obviously, you know, they're going to have most of their center minutes going to, to Mr. Jokic. But uh, having a, a really nice, experienced shot blocker, rebounder coming off the bench behind him is no small thing. But Aaron Gordon, obviously, is, is like the headline of the day and, and of the trade deadline. Uh, you know, I think people, you know, maybe aren't as high on him as, you know, as, from a fan standpoint as they once were because, okay, he spent a bunch of years in Orlando, never really broke out as a, a perennial star and couldn't lead the magic anywhere. But in this league, you know, context is everything, and his talent level is definitely clear. Um, as a playmaker, as a scorer, uh, we know the athleticism, we know the, the dunk contest uh, pyrotechnics, but, you know, he's not a, a leading man in this league. That's fine. You don't, not everybody is, is, is meant to be. He's a phenomenal third or fourth player, and on a team with Jamal Murray and Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. emerging and – uh, you know, the deep bench, Gordon's going to be a really impactful player there, I think. And also, he's a much more capable and committed defender at this stage than Michael Porter Jr., so it helps alleviate one of their biggest concerns. And he kind of replaces, in some regard, Jeremy Grant, who they lost in free agency over the summer, and whose departure might be one of the, you know, among the reasons, among the bigger reasons why they, they slumped a little bit this season. So um, the Nuggets, for sure. The Clippers getting Rondo is fine. I'm not as, as big on Rondo at this stage of his career as, as some people are. That, that, that move didn't excite me that much, even though they have a serious, serious need at, at point guard, and, and that addresses it. Um, you know, aside from that, you know, a, a lot of just, you know, you know, minor moves and, you know, Orlando blowing themselves up, which I thought actually was the right thing. Um, you know, I like Portland picking up Norm Powell. Um not not quite at the level of, of Aaron Gordon to Denver, but still a really nice move by them. So there's there's the basics. Oladipo to Miami, do anything for you? You know, Oladipo, it looks at a glance like you go, oh, he's averaging you know, like 25 and 5, or pretty, pretty close to 5 and 5. Um, but his efficiency is way off. And if you watch him, he's not the same player he was during his best years in Indiana. You know, he he had the major injury and surgery and he just hasn't been the same since. And maybe he still gets back there, but in Miami, look, um, that team is mostly about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and a really nice cast of of players around them. Some veterans like, you know, Ariza who they picked up recently and Iguodala, of course, the young guys, Duncan Robinson and Tyler hero. And so, you know, that group um, was already pretty good with, without, any addition, they didn't give it much to get him. Getting you know, getting him for Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley was a steal. But what version of Oladipo will we see? Now, the good news is 
they had they're they're so uh, well orchestrated there, and they've got enough talent that they don't have to rely on him, rely on him a lot. You know, he doesn't have to carry them. The same kind of thing is like you know Aaron Gordon in Orlando, not not you know not what you need. Aaron Gordon on the Nuggets as a complimentary player, totally different. Oladipo was not going to save the Rockets, but Oladipo can certainly boost the Heat's championship hopes a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how he how well he fits in. That's a team that likes to move the ball, and Oladipo tends to dominate the ball. So let's see if he can adapt to the Miami Heat way right off the bat. Um, it, you know, I didn't mean to leave that out as a significant move by any stretch. Um, I'm just, I, I, you know, Oladipo, where he is in his career at this point, and health-wise, and uh, you know, is, is just makes him, I think, a little bit less impactful to Miami than Aaron Gordon to Denver. Nevertheless, if they can get the best out of Oladipo, if they can nurse him through this, he's certainly a guy who can get you 20 on a given night and maybe take a little bit of of the burden off of Jimmy Butler. Howard, the Jazz have the Grizzlies uh, tonight. They have the Grizzlies tomorrow. Then they have Cleveland and then the Grizzlies again. They have the Grizzlies three times in six nights. I guess two-part question. One, uh, your thought on kind of the unique nature of this year's schedule having that circumstance. And two, your thoughts on – how hard it will be to beat the Grizzlies three times. That's wild. I had no idea that wrinkle in the schedule existed. I wonder how many times this season that anybody is doing that. Um, that is highly unusual. I mean, I knew this season, obviously, they're, they're getting teams to play, you know, twice in a row quite often to save on travel um, amid the pandemic. But three times in four games? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. That's wild. Um, well, you know, uh, familiarity could breed contempt. So let's see if they're fighting by the end of this series. <laughs> and more important than that, of course, you know, you're, you, you get the chance to really um, get to know an opponent just like you do in a playoff series and you scout them more and you can plot for them a little bit more and, and not, you know, not, not just, you know, wing it. You know, during a more normal regular season, you're not tailoring your defense or your offensive strategies or anything to to your opponent. Very, very rarely. You're you're just doing what you do and hoping for the best. It's not until the playoffs usually that you really seriously game plan based on who you're facing. Three games out of four, I would imagine that Quinn Snyder and his staff are actually digging into it a little bit more. So that'll make things interesting. A little bit more of a chess match, perhaps. It's also a team that conceivably the, the Jazz could be facing in a 1-8 matchup. Um, if the Jazz hold on to one and, and if the Grizzlies, you know, can lock up eight and they're, they're right on the fringes there. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, they're, they're a good team. They're a tenacious team. John Morant is, is spectacular. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're, they're that, that, that team that is, looks like they're ready to break through. I don't know if they will this season as, as tough as the West is. But, uh, you know, the, the Grizzlies are, are definitely a team on the rise. Howard, the Jazz are shooting 40% of their shots from three, and they're hitting 40% of them. I heard Jeff Van Gundy during a broadcast the other day of a game of a Jazz game say something about how he thinks that something needs to be done about this uh, preference for the three-point shot. What do you think of that, and do you think any changes are necessary? Yeah, and, and my friend Kevin Arnovitz at ESPN had a story a couple of weeks ago about just, you know, the proliferation, proliferation of the three, the further proliferation, and, and, you know, some people in the league thinking, you know, maybe it's time to, to find a way to rein it in somehow and, you know, consider new concepts. I mean, 
I, I don't think anybody really knows where this is going um, or, or when it's going to become too much. I know for some people it's already too much. Um, I'm not a big believer in introducing a four-point line, as people have kicked around. Uh, there's you know, been proposals to, say, keep the arc uh, consistent so that it eventually just cuts off at the sidelines instead of having those corner threes that are so easy to make and are, are, are much closer. Um you know, widening the court is something that people kick around, but it's nearly impossible given NBA uh, seating, given the fan seating. And you don't want to sacrifice any of those high-priced seats. So it's not – if it's a problem, it's not a problem with any obvious solutions. Um, you're not going to take away the three-point line. Like, they, they will just have a bunch of, you know, guys jammed up in the paint, and it'll be, you know, ugly and uh, not watchable. So – um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know where the discussion goes. Um, did, did, did Mr. Van Gundy have any great suggestions? Uh, I'm trying to remember what he's. I think he talked about eliminating the corner three because yeah. it's closer to the basket. And, yeah. And I don't know how you would do that. Just bring the arc straight into the sideline, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, you basically would. You would just let it be consistent until it hits its natural endpoint based on on its trajectory, and then. You know, uh, it, it'll be it'll be a little strange, you know, because you know the three, the three. If you're if you want to be stationed at the three for spacing purposes, there's not there's going to be less real estate to be stationed at. So I imagine you won't do that. You'll put maybe a couple shooters out there, and you'll still stick guys in the corner, even though that's only a two point shot. You know, Howard, the thing about that is anybody who has spent any time on a basketball court, you go out to that NBA three. It's a long way out there, and the fact that players are mastering this skill is phenomenal. unbelievable to me. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a tribute to people going out and applying themselves to a situation that gains them an advantage. I, what are you going to do? Move it back another three feet? I mean, I I don't know. I, and, and once you get into this mode, how difficult is it to change it when you like to have some historical comparison? from one generation to the next about uh, what's good and what isn't. Yeah, it becomes tough that way. And then look, you know, as you guys know, because it comes up every so often when we're talking, like comparing eras is impossible anyway. You know, a lot of things change. So it's not that you can't. Um, and they moved the line in, you know, the one season back in the, in the 90s, and then they moved it back out again. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they'll go that route. Because, again, if you move, it's at whatever twenty two nine now, twenty three nine. What what is it? Twenty three um, twenty three nine around the 20, around right, the top. 20, yeah, right twenty three nine at its at its furthest distance. Go back to twenty four nine, but keep the corners. Now it's even now it's an even weirder arc, and and there's an even bigger gap in terms of difficult uh, degree of difficulty from the arc, the real arc to the corner shots. So now now you're really putting yourself under pressure to eliminate the corner shot entirely and, and have the arc just cut off at, at the sideline. So I don't know. It introduces a whole bunch of other issues, which is why they probably haven't addressed it. Howard, I wanted to ask you about LeBron and the Lakers real quick. Uh, LeBron gets that high ankle sprain, which is certainly a, a serious injury, and we know what Anthony Davis has been dealing with. In your mind, is the Lakers just a, a scenario where as soon as they get those guys back, they'll be fine in the back to contender status? I mean, should we – uh, do you think Laker fans should be concerned about the condition those guys come back in? What's your what's your read on their current situation? Yeah, I tend to fall in the camp of you know relax everybody. 
they're still the most talented team and the team with the best chance to win a championship at full strength. But if LeBron is going to be out for a, you know another month or so, and I don't know when Anthony Davis is getting back, he'll he'll presumably beat him back. But in the meantime, there's just not a lot of high-level talent on that roster. I mean, it really is this is the classic top-heavy team that when you go all in for two superstars, you often don't have much to, to rest on when they're out. And, you know, they're 28-17 and 17 right now, which puts them only three losses up on the ninth-place Grizzlies. So the possibility that by the time LeBron comes back, or the, by the time they have both LeBron and AD back, the possibility that they're now in, in play-in range instead of in the, 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 the playoff bracket, I mean, it, it, that, that's on the table. It, it's very much in play that they will have to, you know, either fight their way back up the standings to try to get into the home court range, which is not that big a deal for them. They don't need home court. But it's more about, you know, avoiding the play-in. Because even if you're the seventh or eighth seed, so the, the, the seventh and eighth place teams have to lose twice to not make the playoffs. If you're ninth or tenth, you, you, you know, single elimination. I mean, that would be really bad. You know, if you're ninth or tenth, and I don't think the Lakers lose that play-in game as the ninth, tenth, but one one bad turn, like somebody, you know, LeBron turns an ankle, uh, somebody gets in foul trouble early, something fluky happens. It's one game. I mean, suddenly you're not even in the playoffs. So if you're seventh or eighth, at least it's double elimination. But – you know, ideally, obviously, they would like to be at least sixth or higher. And as long as LeBron is going to be out, or what it appears he'll be out, I, like it's, it's, it's a very serious possibility that they are stuck in the play-in tournament in, in one spot or another. Howard, I now knight you the owner of an NBA team, okay? Uh, or, or, or the vice president of operate, whatever, whatever title you want. Uh, just stick with you, owner. That means I okay. got millions. That was, that was better. <laughs> and you're struggling. Your team is struggling. What is the best way to to build it back up? Is it what or you mentioned Orlando and what they're doing? Is is that what you would do? Would you do what kind of what Chicago is doing and trying? I mean, Vucevic and all that, uh, trying to add talent. What's the best way to get from there to there? It depends on how far down you are and also how long you've been there. So, you know, the Orlando Magic are a great example of a team that was on the so-called treadmill of mediocrity, a phrase that I believe was coined by Kevin Pritchard now with the Pacers, but, uh, well, he was with Portland years ago. And treadmill of mediocrity in the NBA is a team that's just good enough to every year chase the eighth seed, sometimes even be the eighth seed, and then get your, you know, you know, you, you know what, knocked out of you in the first round. And you never get good enough to really climb up the standings. You're never bad enough to get a great draft pick. You're just kind of stuck there in the middle. You know, you're probably capped out. You've got good players but not great players. And that's exactly what Orlando was. I think it's one winning season they've had in the last nine, and that one winning season was exactly 42-40, and 40, like the lowest win total you could have as a winning team in an NBA regular season. And they made a couple playoffs, even with a losing record. Got lost, you know, obviously lost in the first round because that's what eight seeds do. And it was never going to get any better. I don't care what you you know the trajectory might be for Markel Fultz having saved his career or what Jonathan Isaac may turn into once he finally gets healthy. Though there's no best case scenario where their team as currently constructed was going to be really really good. And Vooch is a nice all-star center, but he's not he's not he's an all-star, but he's not that kind of all-star. He's not the guy you build a team around. He'll be great for the Bulls. Again, context is everything. 
all of the players they traded yesterday. Like, Fournier will be great for the Celtics, and Vooch will be great for the Bulls, and Aaron Gordon will be great for the Denver Nuggets. But collectively, they were no better than, you know, at best an eighth seed in the East. So blowing it up was the right way to go. Uh, turning those guys into a bunch of picks and a couple players, giving themselves a chance to start over, blank canvas, and, you know, lose enough to have a higher draft pick. That's the way you got to do it sometimes. And it's not easy. It's easier to, to do the blowing up part than it is the rebuilding part. Um, and it, it can take years. I mean, you know, ask the Sacramento Kings who have been rebuilding for basically 15 years. But sometimes you, there's no choice but to just tear it all down and, and try a new path. And, and the key is whether you got enough good assets in return by tearing it down. Howard, thank you very much as always. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it, fellas. Take care.